<laughs> Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Three Plastic Surgeons and a Microphone. As always, I'm Sam DeJuricar in Dallas, joined by my two two co-hosts. To my immediate right is Sam Ree at Bergen Cosmetic, uh, located in Paramus, New Jersey, and Dr. Salvatore Pacella at San Diego Plastic Surgeon. Today, we have a very interesting and very specific topic by the guy that actually taught me everything I know about belly buttons, and that's Dr. Bradley Hubbard, who I'll introduce here in a second. But Dr. Hubbard is an amazing plastic surgeon in Dallas. Before we get to Dr. Hubbard, though, first, we're going to just take care of some some house cleaning. Dr. Cella? Uh, so this is our disclaimer. The, the show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The show is for informational purposes only. Treatment and results may vary based upon the circumstances, situation, and medical judgment after appropriate discussion. Always seek the advice of your surgeon or other qualified health provider with any questions that you may have regarding medical care. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something that you know. So today I want to introduce Bradley Hubbard. I've had the pleasure of being a partner with Dr. Hubbard at Dallas Plastic Surgery Institute. For at least, has it been 10 years, Brad? I don't remember the exact year you joined. Oh, but yeah, it's been about, been about 10 years, and uh, we've been really good friends for that time as well. Brad has built an incredible aesthetic surgery practice in Dallas. He's incredibly well-known. It takes months and months and months to get in to see him. So if you're lucky to get in to see him, take your appointments. And patients know Dr. Hubbard as an amazing plastic surgeon, but I want to talk about some other aspects of Dr. Hubbard before we actually get into the meat of this. Meat of this. So... So a few years ago, we, uh, we realized that Dr. Hubbard has quite the personality. And so his office every year does an amazing Halloween spread where they'll actually show, showcase the office staff as well as different aspects of Dr. Hubbard's personality. And I think this was the first year Dr. Hubbard's office actually did this. In the pandemic, it was, it was my personal favorite when uh, Tiger King was really the rage. This was when heartthrob Bradley Hubbard kind of made his introduction to the plastic surgery community of the world and also... Dallas, Texas. And this is still my all-time favorite. Um, I was followed saying, uh, George I think this is this year's Dr. 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 Hubbard as uh, Austin Power, kind of showing up his playful and goofy side. But there's another aspect of Dr. Hubbard, which I think people need to know about. Dr. Hubbard at South Plastic Surgery is the ultimate prankster. And a few years ago, I let it be known that my patients call me Sam, or they call me Dr. J or Dr. Tajurikar. But for, it just drives me nuts when they call me Dr. Sam. I'd always sort of held on to this notion that doctor, doctor first name was sort of a name for like a guitarist or a pediatrician, but not really like a plastic surgeon. So a few months ago, I walk into my office on a clinic day and there's this giant banner hanging up where they subsequently learned Dr. Hubbard pays a hundred bucks to make every time he does that said Dr. Sam plastic surgery. And I saw it. I quickly just got irritated by it. It was down within about a minute, but it was filmed during that time. Haha, uh -huh, he got me. It was great. A month goes by. I walk into the OR. He made another one of these signs and now it's hanging up in the OR, but he's carefully had it positioned so that the sterile surgical instruments prevented me from actually doing anything with it. I had to operate the whole day with this, this sign up. Ironically, though, the prank, although it was epic, backfired just a little bit because as the day went on, other plastic surgeons kind of came by, saw this. One of them in particular got pretty jealous of the whole thing. <laughs> just the fact that I had a banner advertising my practice in the OR. So it stayed up for a while, kind of became a thing in that OR where people would sign it. And then one day it mysteriously disappeared. I don't know who, who did it. 
But then we moved to the greatest prank of all time. And um, <laughs> this is August of last year when I'm leaving work one day. And a few minutes before I leave, my office manager, whose parking spot's right next to me, sends me this picture. Someone has actually defecated in my parking spot. Immediately, my suspicion went to Dr. Hubbard and his first, or his first assist, Tate, who anyone who's, who is a patient of Dr. Hubbard's know that the two of them are quite the dynamic. And sure enough, we uh, found some footage and uh, <laughs> we had actually found some video footage of a gentleman who to me looks suspiciously doc like Dr. Hubbard in the parking lot, actually doing his business. Now, what I'll say in it, and again, we'll get, we'll get to the beginning of it right here. I'm convinced this is Dr. Hubbard. Though I will issue a few disclaimers. One, this is not actually footage of my parking spot. It's probably not Dr. Hubbard, and he strongly denies his involvement in this. But I do know that he finds it incredibly irritating that I keep saying that he did this. Mm -hmm. His pranks typically are way too elaborate to be quite this crass. And with that, I turn it on, turn it over to one of the best plastic surgeons I know, Bradley Hubbard. Nice. Thanks, Katie. So best intro ever. I got excited about the video. I thought you finally figured out who the perpetrator was. Yeah. So, so Brad, why belly buttons? Why do you want to talk about belly buttons when you could talk about the full spectrum of plastic surgery? Well, a couple of reasons. One, I think probably the most overlooked part of a tummy tuck, yeah, that usually comes at the very end of the procedure. And I think after a long, hard day's work, it's sort of an afterthought, just trying to get done with the case, really like the heavy lifting and the danger and the, the things that we worry about are all kind of done already. And this is just kind of a minor last part, but really for my find for patients, it's probably the most important part. They are trying to get into the world of two piece certain shapes and showing off their abdomen. That was the whole point of surgery. And if you ruin this one aesthetic piece, it can be problematic. I think for young plastic surgeons out there, being able to do this well, is a huge marketing piece. I think. All patients are cruising around to Instagrams and looking at belly buttons, and that's how they're choosing their doctor. Um, that, and as I also have a problem with obsessing about things, and at one point in time, this became one of my obsessions, and I spent way too much time thinking about it, and so kind of analyzed it all down to every detail. So, also, we only have 20, 30 minutes. I feel like if we chose some other topic, we'd only cover 10% of it, but I think we can really handle all things belly button in 30 minutes. I, I will say Dr. Hubbard is incredibly detail-oriented, as as we all are, but he takes obsession to a whole new level. But I will say he typically comes up with very creative solutions. So I know you've got some slides to show us, Brad. Maybe yeah, I'm just going to take us I'll, I'll a fair couple of slides just to keep us going here. With Okay. Also, I wanted to point out that just to annoy Sam a little bit more, my name in this podcast is Brad. But it's not Dr. Brad. It's actually not Dr. Brad. It's actually not Dr. Brad. Let's listen to you. Correct. Those of you, can you guys see it? Is yeah, it you might flip to okay, slide go. mode. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That is, that um, is the original sign. Perfect. So that's the original yeah. slide, and we can tell it's been still pandemic with the mask. And to my great pleasure, he was already frustrated before he walked in the door and then followed the pits on his wall. And you've got to see about 50 patients in the clinic. And so he's like, how do I get this down immediately? It was great. The two middle fingers is also classic. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so I thought I'd start like, okay, to do it right, we got to know how to do it wrong. It's very easy to cruise around people's Instagram and websites and find some examples of things going wrong. And also, I wanted to point out most of these bots have really nice tummy tuck results that are absolutely ruined by the belly button. This being one, obviously, it's much too big. It's kind of a big oval orientation. The hardest part about finding slides that I could use for this is people put watermarks all over their slides because they want to take credit for their horrible belly buttons. <laughs> so luckily I found a couple of these where I can just like cross it off at the bottom. This is one of the big complaints I have in a lot of people with tummy tuck technique is just no contour. We can see it in before picture. There's nice shadowing and contour and natural curves around the belly button. And this one, the result is no contour whatsoever. It looks like a hole punched out. And I think it's a little bit too high. I've had, I've had sure. patients refer to it as a cat's anus before, which I thought was. Oh, don't worry. That's coming up. I don't think that's the best example of that. Mostly because the tunnel's up. To get a good cat butthole, you have to have it tunneled straight out. Like looking Got at the face it. of it. Got it. Okay. So that's a nice, like, what I call a coin slot. They did a very big time vertical oval. And probably it was, they drew a circle, but not on tension. And then once they pulled the tummy tucked down on tension, they created this oval shape. That'd be my guess. Here's just way too big of a diameter. Here's a good cat butthole, I think. This is an interesting one. When she's standing up, it's not so bad. When she lays down, she gets this kind of, I don't know what you call that, like Chinese finger cuffs, like slinky kind of phenomenon where the skin bulges out like that. There's way too much umbilical stock. This one tunnels way up. She showers. That belly button fills up with rain for sure. And here's my best cat butthole picture I could find. Cat penis. I'm okay with that too. Yes. So anyway, those are all the things to go <laughs> that can kind of be done wrong, right? And if I was going to give like my basic principles, you got to fix the hernia if it's there. You got to fix the muscles after. Create your ideal length, which really has more to do with ratio to like the flap thickness. If you have a really thicker flap or a thicker adipose layer. You're going to want it to be a little bit longer, but if they have none, then you got to shorten it up. Once you figure out the length, you got to figure out the diameter. And that's where my technique, I think, is pretty sweet. And then we got to make our inset opening. This is probably the most important thing. You have to inset it lower than where the actual umbo is so that it tunnels downward. If it comes straight out, you get the cat butthole. If it tunnels up, it catches rain and all things like that. Okay. So here's a little drawing of my technique. And I even, I don't know if these will play. Hey, go back, go back to, oh, okay. Yeah. You want to, I, th I think the video is kind of better. So, okay. Yeah. So this is the start is I made it the right length and now I want to control its diameter. So we just take a wedge out of the bottom portion of the belly button, create a defect that we're going to fill. And depending on the size of your belly button, if it's really, really huge or really, really wide one, you can make your wedge really, really wide and narrow it or change the diameter. If it's really, really small, I don't cut out anything at all. I just make a vertical split there at six o'clock. And so I kind of open it and make it a little bit wider diameter. Mm -hmm. So next is the inset. If that's where I think the belly button is, I want my result to be lower. So I draw this arch about the tip of it being at the stock. So my end result's a little bit lower. I don't know how to advance. Okay. 
we don't need to watch me stuff, but that's sort of how it also is. Then you can see the flap tucks down underneath to reach over to the bottom of the belly button. Are you, so are you doing a three shirt? Well, when you're putting in that, that stitch, is that like a three point stitch where you're anchoring that flap down to the, to the fascia? How are you putting in that key anchoring stitch? Usually not. Usually I've anchored the sock of the belly button already, and I don't use a stitch to do that. These are dissolvable stitches that are going to go away underneath the skin in about a month. So if I'm going to anchor the belly button with something, I'm going to do a mood suture. Okay. And so this is just kind of standard. My may go over every day patient, and that's the result that I'm hoping to achieve on a regular basis. I think it does a bunch of cool things. It hides the scar on the bottom because there is no scar on the bottom edge. I think it gives a little bit of contour or shape, especially at the lower half as it kind of curves up to that flat placement. For people who make thick scars or keloid scars, contractile type of scars, there's complex little like C plasty or breakup in there for us. Yeah. And that can control the size. So those are all the things I like about it. So just for our viewers out there, because our, our viewers aren't plastic surgeons, one of, one of the great things about Dr. Harvard's technique is a basic principle of plastic surgery is an older, you, we can't, we can't not make scars visible, but to make them less visible, we can try to break them up so that they are not straight lines or they're not in continuity. So with Dr. Harvard's technique, and, and he kind of glossed over this, but the key thing is there is no scar along the bottom portion of the belly button because of the way that skin flap is, is in set, there's this nice, really youthful hooding over the top of it and no scar across the bottom that's visible. And so the scar is hidden in a place where it's not seen and the remainder of the scar is very much broken up. And so that's why when you look at this result and then the results that I assume will follow, you don't really see the scar in the same way that you see it in all the ones that you showed preoperatively, even though there is mm -hmm. a scar there, which is great. And I think so it's, it's a small point, but it's a, but it's important for the viewers. So Brad, just a, just a question here. So traditionally when people do tummy tucks, they, in the donor flap, the, the, the abdominoplasty flap, they cut out a circle, a, a defect. So are you just cutting a, uh, a, a small C-shaped split and using that tissue that somebody would normally take out and discard and tucking that into the, the apex of where your, your umbilicus is? Yeah, exactly. I call it like an arch-shaped incision. Got it. I went back to that thing. So you can see my skin there is, is folded down to cover the bottom 30%, 40% of the belly button to replace that skin that I just cut out. Got him. So it's kind of a one-for-one -one exchange. And it hides my scar. And it kind of, it does tug down on that little flap of skin or that arch of skin which I think creates a little indentation or contour in the abdomen so you don't get as much of a hole punch. So what do you um, do in situations where the, the abdominoplasty flap is, is rather thick? So in a, in a heavy, somebody who's heavier or has a lot of subcutaneous fat there? Yeah. Well, right. In this demonstration, it's, it's not like that. Um, and what I would do in that situation is when I, when I cut out my wedge of belly button where I want the flap to kind of fold into, I wouldn't take that wedge the whole length of the belly button or the whole depth of the belly button. I would only go down or wedge is like two centimeters deep, just the right size for my flap to fit in place. So the scar wouldn't go buried all the way down to the base of the sock, just buried enough. 
Got it. So sorry, we, we sent you backwards and I, th- I knew you were ready to move on to another slide. Maybe move on to there. Yeah. That's the whole point. I'm starting the conversation. So, so I, I think it's pretty easy to, to get a result on our standard patient. And I think there are some patients where it starts to get really tricky. This was one where, you know, has a belly button hernia, basically right at the base of it. She has like severe rectus diastasis. And these are tricky ones because the blood supply to that skin is a little bit compromised and it's hard to get a really good any I find with these. Do you guys agree? Completely agree. So, so and one of the big things, there's no fat, there is no thickness to give you any depth. There's a rectus flication, which will help, but sometimes that fascia in between the rectus is so floppy, belly button still can get pulled out. So one of the big trends in plastic surgery that you and I have talked about a lot is neo-umbilicoplasty. So right. in this sort of patient, how could you imagine using your technique as a neo-umbilicoplasty? Or would you not think about doing that? I never, I have yet to see a neo-umbilicoplasty that's better than a good belly button salvage. That makes sense. I think there's some new umbilical plastic techniques that are better than others for sure. They get nice results even, but still don't recreate exactly the aesthetics that we're looking for, especially in thicker patients. Sure. So in, in all cases, I try to avoid that if I can. What do you guys think about that? I agree with Brad. I don't think I'm a big fan of neo-umbilical plastic, even in I don't know, secondary reconstructions. I, I will always try to salvage with the original if I can. And, and I've seen surgeons who advocate going direct to neo-umbilical plasty in some cases, but yeah, I don't, I don't see why. Even in, yeah. the, even in the, the thickest or most destroyed belly buttons in the setting of an umbilical hernia, I think there's still some tissue to salvage. And I agree, it's like the, the natural tissue is always the best to use, even in part. Interesting. Cause I probably do about 25 to 30% plasty, And I kind of reserve it for two groups of patients. One morbidly obese patients who have a BMI over the age of 30, who have a BMI over, over 35, who I'm doing a different style of abdominoplasty on something called the Kalua abdominoplasty, which I know Dr. Harvard knows what it is and you guys know what it is, but for our viewers, it's basically a very modified, non-traditional tummy tuck where you're liposuctioning the upper flap. You're not tightening in the same way, but because of the way you're dragging down the belly button stock with all transverse plication, you can't really salvage the belly button. And then I do do a fair number of tummy tucks in combination with general surgeons who do massive abdominal wall reconstruction. And many times when I walk into the operating room, the belly button is gone because they got rid of it as part of the hernia repair because they said they couldn't salvage it. So in those situations, I do neo-umbilicoplasty. I've been really happy with my technique over the last year because I've taken a version of Dr. Hubbard's reconstruction where I, where I take this crescent flap, I tuck it down in the manner he does, and I do a full thickness skin graft from the skin that was taken off the tummy, and it looks reasonable. I core out a little bit of fat, so there's a little bit of... I mean, in, in many of them now, I, I, I kind of forget that they were not made of belly buttons, and I... They do that primarily, go, Sam? Yeah, I do. I do, even though it's risky. <laughs> let me, let me actually, most of the time I, I do, a couple of times I have. Yeah. Permanent sutures are mass reflection. 
That would make me a little edgy. Well, well, the well, the me- the mesh is buried when the way that that's the case. Like the mesh is buried below the rectus abdominis muscles, so the mesh isn't exposed. But yeah, there's definitely. I've been blown once by it, but 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 ninety nine percent of the time it's been okay. Cool. Okay. Well, I think I got one or two more things so we can stimulate another conversation here. So umbilical hernia just kind of proven you can do it with a real umbilical hernia. Key with this really is I think in any other technique, that belly button skin's been so stretched out and so dilated, you need to have that wedge technique to narrow its diameter. Otherwise you're going to end up with something really big or with a lot of skin. And then this is the last one I was going to show you. I believe so firmly in avoiding the neo-umbilicus. This is a lady who had a previous umbilical hernia repair. I got the operative note. The stock was completely released off of the muscles. And so that blood supply was gone. And so I did a delay procedure three weeks ahead of time and cut the circle like 270 degrees and let the skin kind of classic, plastic surgery rules, the delay principle, and was able to get it to live, which I thought was pretty cool. That's awesome. That yeah. was really good. How many of these would you say you've done any sort of secondary work on, like in general? Of, of my own? What yeah. Yeah. Just like how many of your tummy tucks would you say you go back and do any kind of revision of the umbil- uh, umbilicus at all, if any? Pretty rare. Okay. One or two percent. Since, you know, doing on Instagram and people are following belly buttons, I would say I do two or three a month of other people's trying to convert it or change their technique into something that looks a little bit better, which is much more difficult than doing it the right way the first time. But of my own, uh, pretty rare, pretty rare we do anything. It's interesting because yeah, I've seen the Chevron design, but that's where it's reversed. It's actually, you're going inferiorly with that wedge as opposed to superiorly, which, which I've seen before. And I think your technique is better. I think it, it makes more sense to me. I think the Chevron was designed because everyone talks about like hooding over the belly button was important. People talked about that as the ideal belly button aesthetics back in the day, which unfortunately weren't ideal tummy tuck belly button aesthetics. So it's ideal like 20 year old women on sororities on campus where they took all those original patients from. And that's a hard bar to go after. I think it's probably better to compare the tummy tuck results and and look at those aesthetics. But anyway, the Chevron is just, they're trying to put a big pile of skin on the top of the belly button that would make it look like it's hooding. But most of the time, it just looks like a big pile of skin, I think. I, I can uh, say, looking at the OR schedule at our surgery center, I see Dr. Hubbard's name frequently doing revision belly buttons on other people's patients. So I know that that's indeed a true thing. And I'll say that I, I largely adopted his technique a year and a half, two years ago, because I was so sick of hearing him talk about it all the time. It has <laughs> pro- profoundly improved my patient satisfaction with their belly buttons. It's just, to the viewers, this seems like a simple little thing that we're talking about, but most plastic surgeons that you go to are just going to cut a circle around your belly button and sew a circle back in. They might use interrupted buried sutures that, that don't leave track marks. In some cases, people still use horrific sutures that leave these ugly little track marks around it. This is something that takes... 10 or 15 minutes more at the end of the case, but it can make a huge difference in the final results. Guys, Brad, I don't know if you have any other final thoughts about this at all. I mean, I, I think this is a really nice summary of, of what someone can do if they really think about 
how to plan every little step of an operation to create the aesthetics that patients want. And so, I mean, I really, I know how much you've thought about this and everything you've said, I've, I've largely adopted. Do you guys have any other questions for Dr. Hubbard at all? Uh, have you published this? Because I think you should call this the Dr. Brad belly button actually, and, 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 and refer to it. <laughs> Thank you, fam. I appreciate it. Uh, it's actually been a, a running joke. We, we train fellows in our group every year and since our very first fellow, like eight years ago, I reassigned this It's something to write up and publish. And I think I finally, it was accepted by PRS just a couple of months ago. So it took eight years worth of fellows to get it done. I should have thought about the naming ahead of time. I don't know if it's too late, but it's a good idea. We should throw it in there. I mean, I think, I think social media is going to be so much more powerful, powerful for naming it. So Dr. Brad belly button, here we come. There we go. <laughs> And, uh, and by the way, you two don't know it about each other, but Dr. Michelle and Dr. Brad are both ardent Buffalo Bills fans. And I know uh, oh, nice. Dr. Hubbard is eager to get off his podcast so he can start one. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, Brad. I, I, uh, we, we really appreciate it. And we know that our viewers are much more educated for it. So thank you again. Oh, thanks for having me guys. It's a lot of fun. Take care. Thank you. All right.